Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Will Schwalbe is the author of We Should Not Be Friends, The Story of a Friendship. This is Will's second time on the podcast, and I was delighted to have him back. He has worked in book publishing, currently as an editor at Macmillan in digital media, and as a journalist writing for various publications, including the New York Times and South China Morning Post. He is the author of Books for Living, The End of Your Life, Book Club, and co-author with David Shipley of Send. He lives in New York. Welcome, Will. Thank you so much for coming back on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your amazing new memoir. Tell us all about it. Thank you so much. So I'm really excited, Zibby. And first of all, I'm just so excited to be back on your podcast because of all the book conversations I've had 
with all the people about some very different book. Yours is one of the most favorite conversations I've ever Aww. had. Connected so deeply about issues of friendship and loss. And I think friendship is about as important a topic as there is. And so in this, my new book, uh, We Should Not Be Friends, The Story of a Friendship, I wanted to explore one of the things that's given me great joy, which is my 40-year friendship with someone totally different from me, this obnoxious jock I met <laughs> in college. I was this perm-haired, out gay AIDS activist, and he was a nationally ranked wrestler, lacrosse player, rugby player, frat boy. And it is fair to say he was a little prejudiced against me, but I was way more prejudiced against him. And what I never could have predicted is that this guy has a heart of gold. He's smart. He's turned out to be an educational leader. And he's been one of the most important people in my life for 40 years. Chris Maxey, founder of the Island School, Navy SEAL, awesome guy. Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, your story about him was crazy because it also seemed so unlikely. Like for the whole first section or the first third of the book or something, I'm like, I don't feel like these guys are really going to be friends. Like, <laughs> like maybe this story is going in a different way. Like, I don't know, because it doesn't seem like they have, I mean, you obviously had wonderful conversations in your rooftop tugs and all of, all of that, but I don't know. You even had like times when he would come to New York and not even call you. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. I really wanted to cry because I think we've all had friends like that. And one of the beauty of a long friendship is if it has a deep foundation, and ours did, and if there's desire on both parts to, to be friends, you can sometimes go a decade without talking. And you can hurt each other's feelings and have misunderstandings. But if you both want to be friends and you both work at it a little bit, uh, it can be one of the most rewarding things there is. But yeah, I wanted to make it clear. I love Maxi. He's not my best friend. Right. I have several best friends. He's just someone I admire deeply who plays an incredibly important role in my life. So I have a lot of people I admire deeply and play nice roles in my life, but I haven't written books about them. Why did you write this book about him? I actually admire Maxie so much. After serving six years with the Navy SEALs, he founded that incredible school I mentioned, the Island yep. School. Yep. And I just like him so much. He's such a great guy that I proposed to my publisher the legendary Sonny Mehta and Dan Frank, that I write a biography of Maxi. Got it. And they took me to lunch, and Sonny was famous for his long pauses, and there was a <laughs> long pause at the end of lunch. And he said, I think the book you really want to write is about your friendship with Maxi. And, mm. and he was right. He was totally right. That was the <laughs> book I wanted to write. I also felt it was really important now to... Explore being friends with someone very different from you. I think we're so siloed. And even at a place like we were both preppies, we were both Yaleys, and yet we considered ourselves totally different. Go to any high school and you'll see the theater kids at one table and the jocks at another. And I think we need to broaden our definition of who we can be friends with. And that's another reason I wanted to write this book. Wow. I love that. I love that. You had like this one scene where you were in the cafeteria, not the cafeteria, one of the colleges. I went to Yale, as I told you. And so this yes, is no, like, we have, we have so much in common. I know It was amazing to go through and I'm like, okay, there he is at Naples. And there he is. Like I can see walking into, it, it's just amazing. So thank you for the memory lane factor of this book for me personally. But you have one moment in one of the college's dining halls where he's with a bunch of his friends and something happens, like they elbowed you or something spilled and you kind of, your groups were 
were just like diametrically opposed. And you almost didn't even want to like make eye contact with him because he was in that group and you were in this group. And you were like, let's just let it go and pretend that our friendship is not sort of cutting through these invisible barrier lines because we're with all these other people. It's exactly what happened. Our friendship at that point was so tenuous and so fragile. That's a better way to say it. <laughs> and I was with this marvelous character, this incredibly eccentrically dressed, uh, another out gay kid at Yale who dressed like a, a young Roman and he had sandals and van braces on. And Maxie was with his pack of jocks. And I was I was worried on both fronts. I was, didn't know what, what the jocks would make of us and what that would do to Maxie. And I knew my friend quite rightly loathed a lot of those jocks. So I just hoped we hadn't seen each other and we went to different parts of the dining hall <laughs> and crisis averted. It's sort of like Sandy and Danny in Greece, you know, yeah. with like the wrong group, like they can't make eyes at each other because they're in the wrong groups. Anyway, obviously it's not really like that, but <laughs> moving no, on. <laughs> actually very, very much like that. I mean, it is a kind of platonic love story. Yeah, as it, all friendships it, really as are. As all friendships are. Friendships are love stories. Um, yeah. So yes, it has a lot to do with something like Greece. We we met under forced circumstances. Um, in our case, a secret society that we were thrown into. And otherwise, our paths never would have crossed. I never would have known him. And my life would be much less rich. I love reading friendship stories like this one. Because yes, it's about the friendship. But they also tell you so much about each person in the friendship. So I got to know you so much better through this book, which I loved. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Um, one, I would like to see a picture of this hairstyle that you referenced from your Yale days because I could barely picture it the way you described it. And I just have to see that at some point. But also you really charted for us your own trajectory of being out and gay and what that was like and working through the AIDS crisis and it wasn't that long ago. And yet the way you wrote it in the book, it's like a different era or something with so like all this being illegal in some states and like just so few people even being out at Yale at the time. Talk about like the crazy difference and how I bet people today like can't even imagine. And it wasn't so long ago. It was just a few years ago. Yeah. It's very hard to describe to people what it was like in in a short form. And that's one of the other reasons I really wanted to write this book, is to convey what it was like to be a young, gay, out, active gay man in the early 80s when AIDS struck, when friends got sick and died of this mysterious thing, when no one knew how it was spread, what caused it, uh, when there were all these crazy theories, when the homophobia, especially around AIDS, was so virulent that people like William F. Buckley were proposing that people with AIDS be tattooed. They were proposing literally concentration camps. And yet the rest of society knew nothing, didn't talk about it, didn't think about it. We had a president who didn't even say the word for I don't even know how many years. And when I first became aware of it, it was under 50 gay men, a rare cancer. When during the time I write about in college, it was 1500. And we knew, some of us, that it was going to be a tsunami and it was like no one would listen to us. But I also really wanted to convey how long it was that we had that sort of Damocles hanging over us. And I really did think that there was an extremely good chance, based on people that I had slept with, that I had AIDS. If I did, it would be almost certain that I would die. 
And that was really my entire 20s. And so I wanted to convey what that was like. But also, and this is really important, there's a writer who I love named Andrew Holleran. And I've been lucky enough to be his editor for the last 30 years. And I'm going to paraphrase him badly. But he said, the 80s were like a marvelous dinner party if you were a gay man. But periodically, one of the guests was taken out and shot. And we were all supposed to go on eating. And so that's the other part of it. We did. We went to movies. We saw our friends. We had jobs. It just people kept dying. And we thought we were probably next. So that's the background of the book. And in some ways, I really wanted to pair it. And I know they're very different with the fact that Maxie joined the Navy SEALs and, and enlisted for six years as an officer in the SEALs. And so we were both at war just very different kinds of wars. Mm, so interesting. I was actually surprised when he got into the Navy SEALs in the book, the way you described. I was like, I don't think that's going to work out for him. But then he did. And that was great. Yeah. I was also really moved by when he started the school and he went to Eleuthera. Eleuthera, right? Uh, yeah. And talked about how when he was in the SEALs, one of the things they had to do was, was bomb the coral reefs to get at whatever their target was. And how he was like, I don't want to bomb reefs. I want to save reefs. And I want to go down here and start a school and educate people. And he was so at home in the water and just marveled at everything oceanic and decided to devote his life, despite hurricanes and everything that, that happened, to going down there and just doing it. I loved that. So tell me about that. And like, what did you think at the beginning? And now, yeah. you know. He is so fabulous. So yeah, he, he Maxie told me that he got into the service, got into the Navy SEALs, because he wanted to be of service. He mm -hmm. wanted to do something useful. But also, he was a physical guy. He loved the water. He loved teamwork and, and sense of purpose and a challenges. But among the, the reasons that he got out, and in the book, I, I, he finally tells me why, why he did leave the SEALs. Among the reasons was, he said, I want to save reefs. I don't want to blow them up. Mm -hmm. And he's become this awesome eco-warrior. He founded an amazing school to help educate kids and really make them scientists. When, when the students are there, they're not studying science, they're doing science. And it's so exciting. And it's just a fun place too. And I hope in this book that there's a lot of poignant moments because we it's Chronicles 40 years and I wanted to put it all down. But we've had a lot of fun over the years. And Maxie <laughs> is one of the most fun human beings I know. And I tend to be, I'm like you, Zibby. I'm like so happy, curled up on a sofa with a book. <laughs> Uh, we're, we're what I used to refer to as indoor kids, <laughs> but Maxie brings me out of my shell and he's that kind of chaos element that some of us have in our lives with our friends. The one who makes us laugh and gets us to do things we wouldn't otherwise have done. I love that. I know even when I'm, I'm in LA, people are like, do you want to go on a hike? And I'm like, no, I want to just walk up and down my sidewalk. I'll, if you would like to walk up and down my sidewalk, we can call it a hike because it's steep, but no. <laughs> yeah, no. no. Another thing that was really interesting is how you described your both of your relationships, your longer-term relationships over time and the ups and downs and starts and stops of his own relationship and your relationship and, and his having kids and you're not having kids and how those sort of all kept weaving through as like an undercurrent of all of your, of both of your stories, Pam and Maxie's relationship. I, I don't know. I kind of wanted to watch a movie just of that and like get, get a little deeper in what was going on there. So tell, tell me about your sort of co-flowing yeah. uh, relationships. <laughs> That's one of the other joys of a 40-year friendship is that if you're lucky, your friends find wonderful people 
with whom they want to spend their lives. And if you're really, really lucky, you do too. And so I wanted to tell the story of how I met my husband, David, in a bar in Hong Kong at a time when the penalty for homosexuality in Hong Kong was life in prison. How uh, Maxie was lucky enough to meet Pam in a dive bar when he was, it was pure an officer and a gentleman kind of uh, situation. But she really surprised him because she wasn't at all who he first assumed she was. And the ups and downs of both of our relationships over over 40, almost 40 years. And it was a really fun thing to write, but really meaningful to me too. And the final dedication in the book is, of course, to David and to Pam for putting up with us for all these years. <laughs> How is, is he going on tour with you? I haven't looked. Like, is there, are there appearances? Did I miss them already? I'm sorry. No, you haven't missed anything. And Maxie and I on Pub Date are going on the road. We're doing an event, big event at Barnes & Noble on Pub Date, which uh, is the 22nd. The day before, actually, I'm doing a thing at RJ Julia. Um, and then Maxie and I are going on a road trip to Florida uh, together and doing a couple other events. And there's one especially important character in the book, this guy, David Singer. Yes. And he's the bridge between us. Mm -hmm. He's a lot of me and a lot of Maxie and incredibly smart, accomplished, gregarious, wonderful human being. And when Maxie and I would fall out of touch, he'd always bring us back together. And so Singer is hitting the road with us as well. Oh my gosh. All right. I have to get to this. It's a college road trip. That is so cool. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I even loved the when Singer convinced you to just like drop everything and take two days off of work and go down to visit Maxie when he was having a tough time and you wanted to see the school. And I could feel you being like, well, I'm not, I can't take off work and da da da. And you just went. And I feel like that scene in particular, for anybody who's working hard and is reluctant to sort of take time off, like it's just a reminder. Like you, if you don't take those trips when they come and like, like land at your feet, look at all the stuff you could miss and look at yeah. how those define 
those key, mo- those become the key moments of your life if you just do them. It's, it was a turning point, and I had all these excuses. I can't afford it. Singer yep. said, I'm frequent flyer miles. Right, I can't right. take the time. Singer said, we'll go for 48 hours. And showing up for your friends, mm-hmm. this book is a celebration of friendship. Yes. And there's nothing more important than showing up. And it doesn't matter how many years you've let go by. It's never a bad time to pick up a phone or send a text or an email and just say, hey, you're an important person in my life. I'm thinking about you. I'm checking in. I want to see how you're doing. And if I hadn't gone on that trip with Singer, mm-hmm. I don't know if our friendship would have survived. We would have been cordial if we'd seen each other. But that was the refresher, the jolt, the tonic we needed. And that was also a time when we started getting much realer with each other, mm. where we really confided things about our lives that we don't casually share, all of which I put in the book. <laughs> and one thing, which is one of the many remarkable things about Maxi, is when I embarked on this project, I said, I'm going to show you the manuscript. Our friendship is more important than any book. You have carte blanche to take out anything you don't like. Just tell me what you don't like. Out it goes. He read the book and he said, don't take out a word. Oh, that's so nice. That is so nice. So one of the other things we bonded about, and it's something that that I hope strikes people deeply, is we both were in the situation in college of really not knowing what we wanted to do with our lives and being scared and anxious and feeling imposter syndrome. And I know you have, you have grappled like, with this. Did you mean you and me or you and him? <laughs> you and me. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, you talk about the you know, loved bookends, by the way. Yeah, that was it's so nice. You read it. Oh my gosh. When you emailed book, me that, I, I was so touched. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, uh, you talk about that issue, that, that, what am I going to do with my life? Imposter syndrome. And we really bonded over that, that fear of disappointing others and disappointing ourselves, and and of wasting the enormous privileges we've been given. Going to Yale, oh my goodness, I mean, how incredible is that? And yet that fear that, what if this opportunity that so many people would do anything for, what, what if we wasted it? What if, and I think it's natural for young people to feel that, but it's also a feeling that can come back at 20, 30, 40, 50. Yep. When we meet up at 60, this is not a spoiler, this is just a description, we actually are just so darn glad to be breathing, to be friends, and to have marvelous people in our lives that I look back on that kid who was so worried about what he was going to do with his life, and Maxie does the same, and and we're like, we're still here. (laughs) And that's enough. That's great. Whenever anyone asks me one of those questions all the time, like, what do you wish you'd told your younger self or whatever? I always say, like, this will all make sense later. Mm -hmm. And it's one thing to say, like, oh, I didn't know what I wanted to do before, too. But then when you read your book and you go through it, it's like you don't see the end. Like, I, you know it because I, I, you know whose book you're reading. But, like, it wouldn't be obvious. And there are all these twists and turns. And who knows why life goes the way it does. But it's just all these decisions and they're they're all leading you somewhere, even if they don't make any sense. Yeah. Like I, your trip to Hong Kong. It's like, what? what? And then... <laughs> like, I really wanted to put it all out there. The, the 
the story of a 40-year friendship has a lot of twists and turns in it. Mm -hmm. It's going to. And it is very deeply informed by the people we lost along the way. Yes. Um, Friends of mine to AIDS, friends of mine to accidents, friends who died in other terrible ways, friends of Maxie's in the military who were killed in action. And so my mom, I write about again, my mother's death from pancreatic cancer, which I wrote about in the End of Your Life book club. And we lost one of the members of our secret society who was very dear to us, an extraordinary person. So I hope the book really is imbued with a sense of gratitude. Mm -hmm. And again, I hope that it will, will help other people who are by definition still here, because if you're reading the book, you're still here, look at their lives maybe through a, through a similar lens if they're you're lucky enough to do so. Uh, one of the things, as you know, I also write about in the book is we both dealt with various illnesses. Yes. But we're still here and, that, <laughs> and helped each other through it. And part of the the way that Maxie helped me get through things is he never lets me take myself too seriously. That was a particularly moving and poignant piece of the whole story. Oh my gosh. When you sat down with Sonny and he said, this is really the story that you wanted to write now that you've written it, what did you learn about yourself as you did it? What do you think, what was really driving you? Why did you want to write the story so much? Like what did, when you got to the end, was there a moment when you were like, oh, I had to work through blah, 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 or, you know, because I needed to remember blah, blah, blah. Or like, was there anything like that at the end? There were a couple of real revelations. One was this overarching theme, which is, as I mentioned when we started talking, wow, I knew Maxie was prejudiced against me, but I was way more prejudiced against him. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to examine the way that I made snap judgments about people mm-hmm. and decided whether they could or couldn't be a friend mm-hmm. based on something as silly as the fact that they were a sports hero mm-hmm. and assumptions I made. Over the course of our friendship, Maxie would later, as you know from the book, share with me a journal that he kept where he chronicled the year we met. Mm-hmm. And everything that happened to him, I was obviously a small part of it, but there it was. <laughs> and It was so fascinating. He shared it with me. And I learned that things that I remembered, he remembered too, and had a totally different view of. And and Mm -hmm. I had gotten those wrong as well. So it really, I started in the epigraph with several quotes, but one is from Amor Tolls from A Gentleman in Moscow, which is a book I dearly love, where he talks about you really don't know a person until you've seen them in every different kind of situation. The people really surprise you. And at the end of writing this book, I thought, Maxie really surprised me, and I really surprised myself. One other thing I want to mention, because it's just funny, is I also wanted to chronicle a friendship, totally platonic, between a gay man and a straight man over 40 years, And when I first showed it to one of my dearest friends and first readers, she roared with laughter because she said, you've actually written something very similar to what it's like to be a straight woman and have a friendship with a straight man that is entirely platonic. Mm, Interesting. 
And so I thought that was funny. I hadn't I hadn't expected her to her to say that. Like when you were like, he's just as girl crazy as I am boy crazy. I get it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was Maxie's great revelation yeah, about yeah. me. Like, I get it. I'm girl crazy. He's boy crazy. I get it. I got it. <laughs> it was fun to to revisit various incidents, funny incidents throughout our lives. But I also felt a responsibility to tell this story because it was a story 40 years in the making. That's awesome. So being an editor at Macmillan and then having your book published by Knopf, so for people who don't know too much about publishing houses, just different, you know, different sides of the field or whatever you want to say. What was it like working with, and obviously you have for your other books, but a publisher that's not yours and then not being the editor of your own work when you're so used to editing other people's work? I love it. I I I love just giving up control. Macmillan's a great publisher. Knopf's a great publisher. And when I'm in writer mode, I like just I'm just a writer. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm doing. I'm I'm busy being a writer. Jordan Pavlin, who took over the book, has a fabulous list and impeccable taste. And so I was able to put myself in her superb hands. I love not wearing my editor hat. <laughs> and in fact. When I'm reading books for pleasure, I don't edit them in my mind. I right. just I just read them. So I'm very able to go from one to the other. It's also fun to see how a book hits different people and, and what kind of life it takes on in the world. You've had that experience. Yes. Well, I'm excited for readers to start reading this and to hear what their response is and what you learn about them and you. I don't know. It's going to be really fun. Thank you. And one thing I wanted to mention too, given the marvelous title of your podcast that's that's given birth to so many things that you have done, is there's a lot of comedy in the book over the fact that Maxie not only has four kids, Maxie and Pam, but is running a school full of kids. Yes. And I was once quoted in the Wall Street Journal as saying, my husband and I are the last gay men in America who do not want children. Yes, that was great. <laughs> and I don't know what to do with small children. He has four. And I can never remember their names. I know. I was going to say that was so terribly about that. Yes. And I adore his kids. They're awesome human beings, each one different, each one extraordinary. Uh, So it's been really fun getting to know them too. But we're very different people. We're still so different. Mm -hmm. And that's what that makes our friendship one of the the things so fun. And so again, the thing, I, I hope people enjoy the book. I hope it causes them to celebrate their own friendships, usual and unusual. But I also really hope it gets them to look around and say, who could I be friends with? And why shouldn't we be friends? Totally. I think this would be a good writing exercise for those aspiring writers out there who are debating what to write today, that maybe they could try doing a short essay on a friend who's not a best friend, but someone that's had a lot of meaning in their lives for one reason or another, and just try writing like a thousand words on that. I love that idea. I don't know. Just I'm giving random people assignments, but there's someone out there who's going to do it. So if you do it, send it to me, send it to Will and me and we'll (laughs) take a look. Anyway, Well, thank you so much. Thanks for the great book. I feel like it's just so nice. I feel like reading someone's memoir, especially yours, it's just like being able to, I don't know, this little peek into the soul. It's so nice. I just loved it. Thank you so much, Zimmy. Thanks for having me on. And thanks for all you're doing for uh, readers and writers. Thank you. You too. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. 
Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.